0: Good Shepherd Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Our mission at Good Shepherd is to proclaim the gospel so that all people will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. One of the main ways we believe that we are accomplishing our mission is through the proclaimed word. We believe that the preached word creates and sustains the church. Our desire is to preach Christ crucified for you, which means we hope that Jesus is the substance and hero of every sermon, and that Jesus is preached into the places of sin and brokenness into our hearts. We thank you for joining us, and hope that you will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. All right, James, we are going through a series called Pure Religion through the book of James. James has given us a lot of clarity As to what a life Saturated in the realities of the gospel What it looks like on the ground And James is very practical He gets right to the nitty gritty About how faith in Christ Leads to a transformed life In a way that's free In a way that's uh, loving In a way that goes down to the bottom It doesn't seek to go to the top It runs down to the bottom To the lowest of the low And it's free to do that uh, that's, not a, that's not something that is hard or challenging for somebody who understands all the gifts that they have been given in Jesus. Uh, and so James continues to go on a little, uh, a little flow of logical thought here in James 4 through 5 towards the end of the, uh, his letter to the church, uh, to the Jewish church here. And uh, he's continuing to write and encourage them uh, in ways that are very clear. And no doubt tonight, we have the exact same kind of clarity. Read with me, uh, if you will, James 5, 7 through 9. James 5, 7 through 9. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. I live with three kids, uh, and, you know, we, we pick on patience as being one of those virtues that we all just need more of, right? It's easy to say, like, what can I pray for you about? Like, there's a couple things that are on a very short list of all the things that Christians always ask for prayer about, and chief among them is, well, I could just need more patience. And certainly that is true. We all need more patience. Again, living with three children, um, I need a lot of patience, but also I recognize that my children also have no concept of the idea of, of patience, to wait. In fact, even I was, I, this week, I was expressing things with my, my, my two-year-old daughter. She wanted a snack, like she almost always does. And I wasn't in a position to give her a snack at that moment, and so I asked her to to wait. And she goes, wait. And I said, wait. And she goes, can I have a snack? <laughs> and I was like wait and i realized at that moment she she under she hears the word right she hears that word but she has no concept to be able to to do that to wait i don't know what it's going to take to teach somebody how to wait like i don't i don't know how that goes i'm sure there's some process of helping somebody learn what waiting is all about but truth be told waiting is something you have to learn. It's something we have to actually get around to giving ourselves towards. And certainly we would say that uh, in light of that, we can certainly say waiting is hard. Waiting is challenging. Might be just because like, I don't know, maybe maybe kids back in the day knew what weight was, but maybe kids because of today's pressures and because of today's accessible things, including food, including TV shows, including almost everything in my child's life. Uh, Maybe waiting is just a harder and harder concept these days, but also I would recognize in my own heart, waiting is a harder concept for me these days. Even getting older, it's very difficult to wait. Last sermon, we talked about this idea of something impending, something coming. And James was giving a warning. In fact, he was Giving a warning to people who weren't in the church. Remember we talked about this. This last little portion, more than likely, was written to a group of non-church people who actually were trying to grab life by the horns by using their own wealth and their own control to be able to get what they want out of life. And James had some very, very strong words about how wealth can't actually do the job of saving you and certainly grabbing life by your own plans can't save you, he would say at the end of chapter 4. And then he gives this warning to the rich in the beginning of chapter 5 and says the wealth that you accumulate in this life can't save you on the day of the Lord. And he does, in one sense, leave this room for this posture of waiting. You might not be able to realize this right here and right now. You might be accumulating wealth Wealth might be treating you well right now, but just wait. Just wait until one day the final judgment comes, and then when you get before the throne of God, you will realize that the things that you accumulated aren't there with you. They will have passed away, and the real judge will actually render a verdict on your soul. And he levels a very sharp warning at that moment. Then he contrasted that by uh, by verse 6. In talking to the rich, he says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and the righteous person did not resist you. At the very end of our sermon last week, we hinted at this logic that those who are righteous by faith in what Christ has given them have no impulse or no need to be able to fight back when it comes to uh, things uh, things not gained. Which is why he says that the righteous person does not resist the wealthy, when the wealthy comes calling. It is on the heels of this that we have this charge back to the church. In verse 7, it's very clear that he aims this warning or this um, encouragement back at the church. He includes that word brothers and sisters there in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers. Again, in talking about the day of the Lord coming, James turns his face back to the church and his encouragement is, church, wait. Wait. I don't know about you, but oftentimes in the Christian life, we haven't been taught well how to wait. And it's like my little daughter. Sometimes we look back at God, we hear, we hear, I almost like to see the face of Jesus and hear him saying, wait, and we're like, Wait. And he's like, yes, wait. Like, I'm not I'm not real good at that waiting thing. Like sit here, wait. Wait. Be patient. Hold on. This is actually, I, I had a hard time breaking up this text. I, I wanted to preach really all verses seven through eleven. Um, But there was so much in verses 7 through 9, I really felt like it deserved its own little thing. But this week and next week, I want us to wait through a little discussion on learning, what does it mean to wait? Obviously, Jesus isn't back now. We know we have a lot of things that Jesus has given us. So between this little mark in salvation history, where Jesus has come and in one sense, Uh, We hear the words of Jesus. It is finished. It is totally done. There's nothing more to add. We have it all. We're totally complete. And yet we look ahead and we realize that there's way more to come. We don't have it all in hand. There's a real sense to which like we've barely seized anything at all. And now we wait and learn how to wait. And I want to ask you tonight, do you know how to wait? You You might know how to Endure and be patient as we wait. I'm with you. I read the news and I'm tired of waiting. I look at my sin and I'm tired of waiting. I put my head on the pillow at the end of a long day and sometimes I just get tired of waiting. The reality is I think there is much of the promises of Jesus that we get to hold on to as we wait. There's kind of like this Unknown well that's right in front of us that we often lack because we simply just don't know how to wait. I'm going to encourage you tonight. Oh, find the blessedness of learning what it means to wait. What I want us to see for tonight, and again, this is kind of like part one of maybe a whole sermon, but part one, which will be all tonight. Be patient and wait for the eternal reward. Be patient and wait for the eternal reward. Reward. James gives us a helpful illustration. and I'm thankful for illustrations because sometimes, again, learning how to wait sometimes is very hard. And James is very clear. Learning how to wait is actually like living like a farmer. He says this in verse 7. See, this is the back end of verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. And in verse 7, into the very four words of verse 8, you have this idea of patience being leveled three times. Be patient. Like a farmer's patient. Be patient. Clear indication of what James is calling for here. How, though, do we be patient and wait for the eternal reward? What does that even embrace? What does that even look like? How do we even get about that? What does a farmer do all day, right? It's a good question. What does a farmer do all day? After he's planted, what is the key thing a farmer does? And James is saying that is what we need to figure out, even in our Christian experience. I think there's something we can see. I think there's three basic things we can see from this farmer illustration about waiting. I think the first thing he wants us to see is to embrace God's faithfulness. Embrace God's faithfulness. This is even true about the farmer. There's a kind of faithfulness that a farmer knows and learns. He wakes up every day with this reality that the sun is coming up. There's going to be a dawn, there's going to be a dusk, I'm going to get sun. There might be other things involved. There might be some rain, there might be some clouds, there might be other things, but there is a consistency to the sun's pattern. And just like there's a consistency to the sun's patterns, there's a couple things that he can uh, wait on and bank on as he's going about his day. He can also bank on seasonality. He can bank on the fact that summers are hot that falls are time for harvesting. He can bank on a kind of seasonality, a kind of faithfulness that God brings around. And even as he waits, he gives himself towards the rhythms of faithfulness in a way that's kind of passive, in a way that he has actually no control over. He just simply interacts with the seasonalness of God's faithfulness. And in the same way, James is calling us as we wait embrace the realities of God's faithfulness. See the sun rising. See the heat of the Christian summer. Feel the warmth of this part of the season that God has called us to. He even says there in, in verse 7, uh, it's actually a very, very interesting Old Testament phrase that James's audience would have readily picked up on. Again, James is uh, preaching here to a, a Jewish church, a, a Hebrew church, And this would have been something that really would have perked up their ears. He says this in verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives. And here's the line. The early and late rains. The early and late rains. That idea of the seasonalness of the rains. Again, that... We pass over that in our in our scriptures, or even in our reading. To the Jewish mind, we actually see this over and over again, both in the law and in the prophets. God's promise to provide the early and the late rains. Rain is a wonderful picture in Scripture. Of course, we have uh, in the words of Jesus. Again, James would have known the words of Jesus very well, coming from his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he says, Jesus says that he makes it to rain on the just and the unjust. There's a kind of universality to God's provision of rain. That's a very general understanding. God makes it rain on all sorts of people, and he doesn't just make it rain over his own people. There aren't any like just rain clouds following the righteous people who have trusted in Christ. No, it rains on everybody, and there's a kind of universality to God's faithful provision. But to the Hebrew mind and even to our Christian mind, we would do well to listen into the pages of Scripture, especially Old Testament uh, Scriptures, to know that not only is rain this picture of God's eternal or universal promise, uh, a provision of faithfulness, but also it's a particular kind of way in which God keeps his promise to his people. Yes, he gives rain to make provision, but also we, looking through eyes of faith, hearing the promise of God, should see his rain Specifically as God keeping his promise to his people. Listen to this from Hosea 6.3. This is when Hosea is actually encouraging the people of Israel, repent, turn back to the Lord. Why? So you can get his reign. Listen to this from Hosea 6 3. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. In Joel, also a prophet, makes known of this uh, as well. He encourages Israel, Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down on you abundant rain, the early and latter rain as before. He's basically saying that there's a seasonalness to God's way of keeping his promise. And just as the early rains would have come through for Israel, that would have been this huge indication. God kept his promise for early rain. He's going to keep his promise for late rain. It's a beautiful picture of the seasonalness of God's faithfulness. And James is saying, wait like the farmer who waits for the seasonalness of God's provision but also the seasonalness of even God's promises to his people. Wait. See his faithfulness. That may mean that even as believers, we would do well to slow down our spiritual heart rate so that we could keep track of some of the ways God has been faithful to us. It may mean doing kind of ritualistic things or um, what what we, would, we would call kind of like worshipful things to take account of waking up, going to bed, rising, lying down, seasons. These are kind of things that historical church has done actually fairly well in their, in their worship. Putting together like uh, a church calendar, putting together things where we can actually uh, read before uh, we wake up and read as we go to bed. Some of the members of our our own church uh, have have done really well at incorporating those things into their life patterns. That might be a really helpful way of just keeping track of the seasonalness of God's promises and provisions for you as you wait. Something else you can do is look for ways where it didn't seem like there was answered prayer, but clearly there was answered prayer. Look at the small ways that God has provided for you. Look at the small things that you have prayed for, that he has answered. And don't discredit that as simply just being happenstance or somehow just oddly random, but actually see it as a kind provision from the Lord. There's a man I've had the opportunity to disciple over the last probably nine months or so. Um, One day he called me out of the blue. I've known him for a while uh, lived in another state, called me just right out of the blue, and I was struck by why he would call me. It's not like we had a good friendship, but not like I was. It was totally out of the blue for him to call me at all. Uh, in fact, I was still like, "Hey, are you still in that state?" I thought you were like not living here. Um, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, I'm still still living there." And I was like, "Hey, well, it's great to talk with you. How, how's life?" And it began this really nine month process of him just. Unpacking how, how God in his kind providence had totally unearthed all of his life. Family, job, um, things going on in his own heart with his own personal sin, guilt, and shame. Just about everything that this man held dear in his life was totally in shambles. Um, and it's a blessing at that moment to, to be a pastor and receive that kind of phone call. It's kind of like you know the call you get from jail. It's probably not the greatest, but I actually look at that as like, hey, man, I want you to call me at that moment. Um, and this man, same thing. Life was, was hard for him, very, very hard. Um, a crisis moment. Well, I had an opportunity two weeks ago to sit with him, and I actually kind of on a whim encouraged him to, to, to move here and pursue a healthy church lifestyle. Uh, that, that would be like his greatest priority as he's getting life back in order. Find a church that preaches Jesus to you get involved. Let the people of God love you. Let the people of God provide for you. Let the people of God wrap their arms around you and just fall in love with Jesus and his church again. And let that be your starting point. Let that, let that be the beginning of, of your story going forward. So he did. He literally packed up his things, he had no job. His marriage was in shambles. Kids had a hard time understanding what was going on. Moved, landed here, got involved in a healthy church, struggled through finding a job, found a job, super stressful, hard time finding housing, was just going through a very hard time. Two weeks ago, I was talking with him, and it had been about like three weeks since I had a chance to get with him to vacations and stuff like that. He just started bawling because God had provided for him in ways that like, I, I, there's no way I could have orchestrated, no way he could have orchestrated, and we both sat there, knowing what we had talked about, knowing the things that we had put before God, knowing the things that, in one sense, we had we had put on the altar of His life, and asked God to just take and do whatever He wanted to do, whether He wanted to bless or whether He wanted like raise dead, whatever He wanted to do, and to watch God bring something, some some amazing fruit out of that. Um, it was amazing. And we both looked at each other. He was crying, and I I began to cry because I I knew this was God. This was God at work. And these were seasonal things. Uh, Maybe, like, we didn't prepare for this season. Maybe the season came a little earlier than we expected, or maybe it was a longer drought than we expected, and we finally got the fruit. However you want to slice it up, we got to see God's faithful provision in a way that actually helped us believe that God is keeping promises here. This isn't just a kind provision and cool. We got something really cool. It was this unbelievable provision of God is keeping his promise. It was fantastic. What are things that God has put in your life where God has been faithful? When's the last time you actually just praised him for it, worshipped him him for that, as a way of just waiting? As you wait... How has God brought about his seasonal faithfulness in your life? And I think if we slow down, which is a form of waiting, I think if we slow down and ask God to reveal those things, I think you would see a lot. these early in these late rains, but waiting like a farmer, waiting to see the precious fruit of what's coming. But then he sees the early rains. And he knows that the late rains are coming and is reminded of God's faithfulness. Embrace his faithfulness, but also... Secondly, how do we wait? Live by faith. Something a farmer is very, very good at. A farmer plants a seed. And there's a good time where he doesn't see anything. He doesn't see anything. He sees where he remembers that that place where he put the seed. But there's a time where he doesn't know if that seed's going to grow. He's going to do all the right things. He's going to go about his day. But he's just got to wait for that sucker to come out of the ground. He's got to have a lot of faith in the reality of that seed to germinate and sprout and grow. And so it is for us. We don't always get to see things in this life. A lot of the Christian life is weighted out without being able to see hardly anything. We've talked about this in the book of James before, that this idea of faith is really helpful and insightful James helps us to understand that faith is actually getting our perspective outside of ourselves and looking outward. It's putting our eyes on something not in, but out. It's a facing outward kind of disposition. That's what faith is. That's what faith sees. But it's also all or nothing. There's nothing in between. I often relate faith like this idea of jumping out of a plane without a parachute. That is the pure essence of what it means to live by faith, because the only thing you have is an umbrella, and most—I mean—umbrella. Hopefully, you have more than an umbrella, a parachute. I hope that's not all you have. Don't do that. I don't recommend that. But a, a parachute. And the reality is, you don't—you don't get to pull the parachute on the ground and act as if like it's going to deploy and do all the things. You don't—you don't get to test it. And even if you were to test that parachute, how—who's to say that even if you stuff it all back in the right way, that it's not going to? Go wrong the next time. You have zero guarantees that the parachute is going to work until you actually pull it in the air. My friend, that is the reality of the farmer. He plants the seed, he waters, he does all the right things, and he has no idea what's going to happen, what kind of fruit is going to be born. He has no idea until he actually starts to see growth, fruit. And my friends, the Christian life is like this. The Christian life is often, not often, is always walking by faith. You say, well, what what does that mean? I think it's very insightful that James says in verse 7 that the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives. Until he receives. I'd like to think that James, and also possibly the Holy Spirit, who plays a big part in inspiration of the scriptures, That he knew exactly what he was doing when he used that word receives. Also in uh, relation to what James had already said about how God delights to be the one who gives gifts. And like a farmer, we have to wait in a way that's actually a posture of receiving. Again, I have no way as a farmer to shape the actual inner workings of the seed. I can water, I can provide sun, I can do whatever I can do to inf- in, uh, to, to get to the outside of the seed, but the inner inner workings of the seed, I have no ability to make that thing do what it does. So it is with the Christian life. God has to be the one who does the working. He has to be the one who gives the righteousness. He has to be the one who does the saving. And in that way, as a, patient farmer, we simply just receive. And whatever kind of fruit God wants to bring, we simply, like a farmer, hold our hands very empty and say, God, you fill up our hands with the gifts. It's a receiving kind of posture. And you say, well, that means we sit back and do nothing. No. James goes on here and makes it very clear. Verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, he says. Establish your your hearts. Some of you might have a different translation than I'm reading, and it might say strengthen your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. That'd be a that'd be a great phrase. Maybe even uh, more colloquially, especially in relation to the picture we've been given. It Maybe it's the idea of firm up your hearts. Firm up your hearts. Uh, oh, the one thing I remember, I had a great uh, seventh grade science teacher. One thing I remember about science uh, is this thing called turgor pressure. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Turgor pressure. Anybody? All right. Anybody weird minds? I don't remember anything except this one thing. Um, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Remember that. But also turgor pressure. Turgor pressure somehow is like when the water and the nutrients uh, fill the plant as necessary, it basically keeps your plant from being limp. And the kind of strength that your limbs um, are, like the strength of the, the limbs inside of what's working there is called turgor pressure. It's weird. I remember that for some reason. I look at this idea as basically... James saying like check the turger pressure of your faith of your heart strengthen your heart the reality is uh, in other parts of the New Testament it's actually very interesting this is this is the one time in the New Testament where James actually says you strengthen your heart. Paul uses the same phrase over and over again, but he doesn't say, you strengthen your heart. He says, may God strengthen your heart, or I want to strengthen your heart. Or the community of Christ, the church, wants to strengthen your heart. I hope they strengthen your heart. This is the one time where it's like, you do it. Every other time it's, God will do this, or the church will do this. And I don't pretend to think that James is saying that only you do it. Again, I think he's, he's basically saying, receive what God has for you. But we could definitely say that James is encouraging all of us, do what we can do to focus our hearts on the realities of faith, the very faith that we're trusting, the promises that we're trusting. Strengthen your heart. Establish your heart in this. Paul would say this in Colossians 2, very similar language. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted in and built up in him and established or strengthened in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Notice how Paul links all of that rooted, built up, and strengthened or established or firmed up. All of that happens through Christ Jesus, just as you were taught. Here uh, in 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul begins to link this establishing of the faith with the thing that James is actually uh, linking here, the fact that Jesus is coming back. Strengthen your heart for that reason. Uh, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 3. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts or strengthen your hearts. Blameless in holiness before God our Father in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Paul links, just like James links, this reality of strengthening your heart for the one day when Christ will come. Firm up your hearts in the realities of who Jesus is as you wait. Receive the blessings of God's promises by faith, which would then uh, firm up and establish and strengthen your heart in that faith until Jesus comes back. My friend, we call These things that God has given us, simple, ordinary, common means of grace, things like his word, things like his saints around us, people who are armed and equipped with the spirit and with the word of Christ to be able to speak words of strength and comfort and hope in the times when we don't have any. And we, we even see that God invites us to come before the throne of grace so that we might find mercy and grace to help in time of need. So prayer is a big common aspect where we go to God through prayer and receive grace. We get to go strengthen our hearts through the grace that God has provided for us. And all we're doing in prayer and all we're doing in fellowshipping with the saints and all we're doing in our scripture reading is we're coming close contact with the realities of Christ through faith, by the Spirit. That's all that we're doing in those moments. Through prayer, we're speaking through Christ to the Father in the Spirit, in community with other saints, we are praying to God himself. Through the word, we see Christ and we see all of his promises as the Spirit illuminates his pages of of Scripture to us. And of course, with the saints, these are Spirit-filled people that God has armed with the message of the Word of God. Little Christ's, little Christians walking around Armed, ready to encourage us and strengthen us my friends i want to encourage you as you wait strengthen your hearts make use of the grace that god has given us embrace his faithfulness but live by faith by accessing the grace that god has given us whereby we might have our hearts strengthened and encouraged the turgor pressure of our heart where's the turgor pressure of your heart And you say, it's on empty. Oh, my friends, you're in a great spot. You're in a great spot here. This is where the grace of God is provided for us, both in word and sacrament and people all around us. Take use of this grace. Don't just come and come uh, mindlessly and, oh, I got to go to church. No, be like a plant who's starving for his grace and come be strengthened by his grace. Listen for it. Hear it. Embrace it. Hear the promises of God yet again as you wait. Thirdly, as we wait, we can interact by grace. Interact by grace. And this comes from verse 9. He says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So in waiting, we are looking outside of ourselves by faith, seeing the provisions that God has made for us whereby we might have our hearts strengthened and established. And we also see the seasonalness of God's promises and his faithfulness to us. And naturally, James says very clearly that if you are doing these things, you're living by faith and seeing the seasonalness of God's kind provision for you, there is a kind of ethic or way that, that actually God is at work to shape your lives. And in this particular case, he says, don't grumble against one another. Because of God's faithfulness and with your hearts strengthened in who Jesus is for you, oh, my friends, don't give yourselves over to grumbling against one another. This is very, very similar uh, to the words here at the end of chapter 4. If you go to chapter 4, verse 11, it's almost like a carbon copy, same idea, it's almost like he's repeating himself again because he kind of is. Chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if a, if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Again, very similar language. He's saying basically because of the judge who is standing there at the door, you are not the judge. God is the judge. And because God has already rendered a judgment upon us because of Christ, oh, my friends, don't judge one another. And he said, well, where do we get that? Well, he says in uh, chapter 4, verse 10, that uh, uh, that very same passage, the verse right above, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Trust in him. That's an act of faith and that's trusting in God's faithfulness outside of you. If you're doing that, as James says, you don't have to speak evil against one another. You don't have to be the judge and jury of other people around you. You can allow God to do that knowing that God in Christ has already rendered a judgment for you and in due time, as you wait for the day of the Lord, he will exalt you. This promise that God gives is actually the root whereby James gives this ethic. One more passage to show the same kind of flow. Turn back to chapter 2, verse 14. Again, same kind of flow. He's talking about how uh, this kind of faith and trusting in the seasonalness of God's provision and uh, trusting in the realities of God's promise through Christ, that this turns a kind of ethic into our hearts. And it's the same way here in in chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith, but but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? Flip it back to our illustration here. Let's say you have somebody who has everything that they need in Jesus, yet still insists on grumbling against their brother. What good is that? To have faith. Like a farmer, you have everything you need. God's provisional uh, promises there, uh, seasonal promises for you. Everything you need to strengthen your own heart, to wait, to be patient, to allow God to do the work. You're receiving everything as a good gift from God. What good is that if you're going to then go grumble against your neighbor? James would venture to say you're probably not as free as you think you are you probably don't understand how being a farmer works like you think you do. Oh, my friends, if you knew how to truly wait and how you were waiting and what you were waiting on, and what God has given you in the middle of your waiting, you would find zero need to grumble against your neighbor. And again, the promise is what predicates the ethic here. And he, if you go back to uh, verse uh, 12 of chapter 2, he makes it very clear. Don't, don't pass judgment. But verse 12, so speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. We've talked about that phrase, at nausea, that kind of being a a key passage here in the book of James. Let your life be dictated by a verdict already rendered in freedom in Christ. If you knew what you had, you wouldn't be so bound up in having to grumble against your neighbor or speak evil against your neighbor. I don't know about you, but I long for myself and for our church to be criticism-free. I long for my house to be a place where it is criticism-free. And yet I know by experience, both in my own heart, first and foremost, in the lives of those around me, that's nigh impossible. And it's hard, even in our church settings. And yet I hear it. You hear it from me. I'm critical of others. I hear it from you. The way we speak about those outside of our church, the way we speak about those inside our church, we are so tempted, very easily tempted to think that to gain a little bit more justification or to set myself right or to feel a little bit more free or to feel just slightly better about myself, I must grumble against somebody else to lift my head up just a little bit more. And my friend, like a waiting farmer, who has already seen the fruit of God's provisional faithfulness for you. My friend, there's no need to do that. You are free from the burden of having to be the judge of everybody. God's got that under control. A rendering has already been rendered about you. You're free to let your judgment slide against your neighbor. That actually might be a great exercise for you as you, guess what? Wait. To learn how to be quiet when somebody makes a mistake. To learn how to take one for the Christian team when a Christian does something knuckleheaded. Which, by the way, because we're broken people living in a broken system, you can bank on that happening here. This is a safe place to make mistakes. Not that we're encouraging you to, but we just think you're doing a great job already. It's a great job. I hope, I hope it's a safe space here for those who feel like, man, I just I need Jesus more than I ever thought. Praise God. You have Jesus more than you know. Doing things like grumbling against people doesn't make your life lighter, it makes it heavier. Speaking evil against your neighbor doesn't make your life easier. Don't you find that it makes it harder to keep up with? It doesn't make you more free, it makes you more binding. My friend, because of the reality of what God has provided for you, you can wait like a farmer even when you don't see all the fruit. James wants you to be very clear that really there's nothing outside of Christ that you need. You're allowed to wait. You're free to wait. And in waiting for the completion of his promises, guess what? We still see his constant seasonal provision. And you say, where? Where do we see that? Oh, my friend, you have nowhere else to look that you need to look apart from his cross and his empty tomb. That is the most sure sign of God's provisional promises for you. And yes, we have not everything fully in hand yet. there's, There's way more to come. But as we hear from scripture, Christ is everything that you need right here and right now. And that spirit that you've been given is the down payment of everything that you are rewarded in the life to come. My friends, the reality is we can wait and we can trust and we can do so in a way that's actually on the ground of our life and the ground of our ethic is free, free from the having to, to be the judge of everybody. I'm reminded that he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all the rest of it? How true is that, my friend? If God did not spare the life of his own son, How will he not graciously with him give us everything else that we need down the road? If I can say it this way, Jesus Christ is the early rains. The late rains are coming. We can see his provisional righteousness. We can trust him. We can believe in him. We can be set free even on the ground of our lives from having to be judge and grumbler over everyone else. James wants us to see tonight a pure religion waits Believing that God is both faithful and gracious. Pure religion waits. Knows what it means to be here and now. To be content, certainly. To be filled up. To be strengthened. To be okay with not having everything figured out. To simply just wait for what's to come. Not having everything in hand, but waiting. Believing right here and right now that God is both faithful And you can see that in Christ, and also gracious. And again, I can see that in Christ. I can see both his faithfulness and his graciousness. My friend, tonight is another rhythm of God's seasonal graciousness to us, his provision for us. And I don't know, sometimes, certainly, we get in a rhythm of worship, we get in a rhythm of life. And we go through the same motions, and sometimes it can feel a little bit like rote. And there's a little bit of that that's okay. It's built into our own humanity and frailty. It's right. No big deal. But tonight, we have the table set in front of us. And once again, I want us to see yet again the seasonal provision, the kind and gracious provision for us to yet again put aside our urgent having to have the next thing or do the next thing or become the next thing and allow just this seasonal provision to be enough for us tonight. And I think if you were to look at what's being presented here through the eyes of faith, of what actually is being being given here, you would recognize that this is the smile of God, this is the provision for all of eternity, and you would find yourself to be without any sort of need or want tonight. I want to encourage you to give yourself to this by faith and trust Him. Let's pray.